Do you want to know more about how you can eat for better health and longevity and how to advise patients based on sound evidence so they can reduce the burden of chronic disease through diet and lifestyle? Then you're in the right place. We aim to bring you all the latest evidence on how a plant-based diet can improve your health, the health of your patients and our planet, not to mention the animals we share it with. I'm Claire Day. And I'm Daisy Lund. We are both plant-based doctors with a passion for improving nutritional education. We're so excited to be presenting this podcast where we will be interviewing experts in the field, reviewing evidence, sharing our journeys and recipes to help you on your own journey to eating more plants. So welcome to In A Nutshell, the Plant-Based Health Professionals podcast. So welcome everybody to episode 13 of In A Nutshell and it's our Veganuary special. How exciting. Hi Claire, how was your Christmas? Great thanks. I think I'm quite lucky because I have quite a plant-based family including my mum and perhaps the most challenging thing was having to look up how to make my own marzipan for the cake because there was a shortage. I'm not sure if it was a national shortage. There was always a fair bit of discussion at sort of Christmas drinks around the Christmas period about how I was able to resist an all butter mince pie. I'm quite glad to be back home now and uh, be looking forward to New Year. How about you? Good, yeah. What was this about the mince pies? Did you make your own? I I can make my own, but actually, no, it was I went to I went to a sort of mulled wine party and um, I thought, you know, save scrutinizing the boxes or asking people how they made them. I I took some co-op ones that that were vegan because actually a lot of the cheaper ones are quite easy to get. It's it's nice for people to see that you can um, get a perfectly normal looking mince pie. Yeah, definitely. There's a lot of accidentally vegan goodies out there, aren't there, in the in the supermarkets at the moment. So anyway, what about your Christmas? Yeah, it's good. Good, thanks. Not too stressful. I had some extended family over and I made a vegan Wellington nut roast, which um, I think they really liked, um, which was a relief because some of their, well, it was their first vegan Christmas, even though my immediate family are vegan, some of the extended family are not. So yeah, they, they really liked it and they said they didn't miss the meat at all, which was good. Well, that's absolutely great. And I think it's really lovely when you cook for the open-minded and just basically get surprised by the fact that not everyone's going to give you a hard time about it yeah no really loved it and I, I do find that every time I cook for sort of non-vegans they, they really enjoy the food and, and they actually comment about not knowing what was possible to make without meat on their plate so I think it, it does take a bit of research or a bit of education at the start to learn how to cook with alternatives um, when you do take meat off your plate I think the worst thing is just to remove that protein source and not substitute it with something because that won't re- result in long-term success um, do you think you might just be a really good cook though with this uh, converting people. <laughs> Don't know about that, but I'll take that. Thanks, Claire. So um, our guest today is uh, Tony Vanelli from Veganuary. For those who don't know, Veganuary is a non-profit organisation set up to help educate people on how to go vegan. And she gave us lots of tips on how to make the transition to plant-based eating. So yes, what is great about Veganuary is that there is a community out there who offer support, advice, recipes and so on. And after a month of this, and not necessarily just January, you don't have to do it in January. Hopefully, people are in a better place to continue eating plant-based and mainly whole foods as well. 
we were inspired, but I do feel a bit disappointed that I haven't got anyone close to me signed up for it. Did you recruit anyone, Daisy? Yeah, I think one of my running friends might be signing up. So that's exciting. And it is a really great initiative and one that I'll be signposting lots of patients towards. But the other thing I loved about this episode was all the voice notes we received. So we asked members of the plant-based health professionals and also the London Vegan Runners to send us voice notes about their experiences um, transitioning to plant-based diet. And for some of them, veganery was the way they started. So it was really lovely to hear from our listeners. And I, I think we should make it a regular feature, Claire. Definitely. I loved it. And I think if people are shy about sending voice notes, and you know, I really admire the people who did send us a voice note, but if you're shy about it, you can write in with questions or comments. And that could be on anything regarding the health aspects of plant-based diets. And I think it would be great to make this more interactive with listeners and build a community around the podcast. Yeah, we could even have a segment called like Listener's Corner, where we answer questions and we hear everyone's views and experiences. So listeners, if you'd like to take part and be featured in an upcoming episode, send us an email or record a voice note. Our email address is in a nutshell podcast UK at gmail.com or you can send it on Instagram. We're at in a nutshell podcast UK. Great. So shall we go to the episode? Yeah. So this week is a Veganuary special, and we're lucky enough to be talking to Dr. Tony Vanelli, Veganuary's International Head of Policy and Communications. So welcome to The Nutshell, Tony. Thank you for having me. Welcome, Tony. So I think it's best to go straight over to introduce yourself and Veganuary. Can you tell us about how Veganuary started and the story of Veganuary? Yeah, Veganuary was founded uh, in 2014 by husband and wife team, Jane Land and Matthew Glover. And they were vegan advocates. And they felt that although there were a lot of groups in the UK telling people the reasons to try vegan, there wasn't a group that was just dedicated to supporting people who wanted to give it a go. So they saw the popularity of things like Movember and Dry January, and they thought, yeah, what about this concept, you know, where people try it for a month and see how they get on? And then it's far less daunting for people to give it a go. And January was the obvious time because that's when people are making all of their plans for improving their life etc. So they launched this online pledge where people could sign up for 31 days of coaching emails and they expected, you know, a couple hundred people might sign up the first year and they had over 3000. And it's just grown and grown since then and now we have official chapters in eight countries in the world. We work with partners in another eight countries in the world. And we've had people sign up to our pledge from every country in the world except North Korea. Wow, that's an incredible story. So it has really grown year on year by the sounds of things. And what about the plans for Veganuary 2024? Yeah, we've got um, a theme of vote for veggies this year. So we're sort of leaning into all the election hype that's around at the time. So we're telling people to vote for veggies in January 2024, that they don't have to wait until the general election to cast a vote for a greener planet and a healthier population and lower food bills. You know, they can take action now to help make those things happen. Um, we've got a new celebrity ambassador this year, Bimini Bombulash. So that's quite exciting. And we're be having a campaign bus driving around London next week with the Vote for Veggies message. So it's all happening. 
It sounds great. Uh, Tony, for those people who, I mean, are maybe living under a rock who haven't heard of Veganuary, um, can you just sort of outline what it is and, and why we'd advocate for it? Yeah, it's a one month pledge where people sign up to try vegan, um, primarily for the month of January, but people can sign up any time of the year on our website. And when they do, they'll get sent loads of free resources. So it's free to take part. And then they'll get a celebrity e-cookbook with loads of recipes to start them off with. They get a vegan starter kit. And then every day for a month, for 31 days, they'll get an email that also has recipes in it, nutritional advice, information on the impacts of animal agriculture on the planet, of, you know, animal products on our health. And then, of course, you know, the cruelty that's inherent in the meat and dairy industries. And then at the end of their one month, they can you know, choose to stay vegan or not. Um, It is just a one month challenge. So we know about 25% of people choose to stay vegan at the end of it. But over 75% of those who don't choose to stay vegan decide that they're going to at least reduce their consumption of animal products by at least half. So it has a big impact really on people's lives and on the planet. uh, And certainly for animals. Wow, brilliant. That sounds amazing. And you're head of the International Policy and Communications. Can you tell us a bit more about your role, how you came to being vegan and what you enjoy the most about your job? I really am responsible for all external communications for Veganuary. So overseeing all of it, making sure that everything we produce is done in a fun, friendly and supportive manner, never judgmental um, and never confrontational. You know, we want to help people. That's what we're here for. Um, and then I can't, I've been vegan now. I went vegan at 19 and I did it through animal rights. I got involved in a, I stopped eating meat at 15. And then when I was 19, I joined an animal rights group and I found out about the cruelty inherent in the dairy industry. And that was it really. I was never going to have dairy again. And then I've just been campaigning on these issues ever since. Amazing. How much easier do you think it is now to go vegan than when it first started? When Veganuary first started? Yeah. Um, I mean, certainly in the, I mean, I've never found it particularly difficult, certainly when I grew up, when I was in Canada and in the UK to be vegan, you know, there's always been something that you could get in the supermarket and in restaurants and in some countries, obviously it's been very different, but in the UK, you know, in 2014, supermarkets did a pretty good job. You could get your plant milks in the supermarkets and there was quite a range of plant-based meat alternatives. It was much more difficult when you were eating out. So I think that's where the biggest strides have been made really. Like everywhere now has vegan options when you go out to eat. Many of them have whole vegan selections. You know, you're not stuck with just the one token vegan dish. And the dishes themselves have improved. So it's not just a falafel burger anymore. You know, we actually have other options available to us, which is quite nice. And people are a lot more proud of their vegan options. It's not just, you know, the sad, lonely add-on for the annoying vegans. They're actually showcasing these things now and actually promoting them as sometimes a healthier option, sometimes as a more sustainable option. But certainly, you know, when they take part in Veganuary, which most of the sort of high street chains do now, you know, they really are bragging about these menu options and they're putting them front and center. And I think that's the part that's really changed, actually. So, you don't have to ask for the special menu anymore. Like it's it's there, you know, and it's really something that 
everyone's encouraged to try whether they're vegan or not, which I think is exactly what we need. Yeah, that's interesting. So the, we, we know that we're going to see lots of restaurants promoting the vegan options. Have you had any luck maybe going out to workplaces, especially those ones that are part of a health sector or an environmental sector? Have you had any luck in actually getting those to promote Veganuary directly? Yeah, we have almost 100 businesses in the UK take part in our workplace challenge every year. So that's doing it internally and encouraging their colleagues and staff and senior management to take part, offering more vegan options in their canteen, you know, holding talks and sessions to help their team members who are taking part and encouraging, you know, recipe clubs and that sort of thing. Um, and some of them are at the health sector. We've had quite a few different NHS departments take part. We always have the Royal Devon in Exeter NHS Trust taking part. And in fact, this year they're giving out I think it's 300 vegan meals to their staff to take part in Veganuary. Um, the NHS food supply chain unit has taken part for several years in a row. The MOD, the Civil Service Veg Network, has taken part. We've also got like big businesses like Salesforce taking part this year internationally. Many of our major supermarkets take part internally. So it does really span quite a wide variety of sectors, some who have nothing to do with food, but it's about, you know, their sustainability commitments and helping to improve the wellness of their team. Well, that, I mean, that's fantastic if you find yourself in a workplace that's got its own initiative. But if you're an existing vegan and you're trying to bring others on board with you, either trying to get some people to take part at work or, or even those closer to home within your family, what do you think you can advise in terms of bringing people on board, not putting people off, not lecturing people? Have you got any tips about how people might do that? I think the main thing is just to show them that you're eating delicious food. You know, it's not impacting on the quality of what you're eating. I think people worry about that the most. You know, it obviously has to be a personal decision. Absolutely nobody likes being told what to do. So I think if you're making and eating delicious food and you're noticing health benefits yourself, then the people around you will think, oh, okay, well, you know, they're having these successes. Maybe I'll give this a go. Yeah, I think that's absolutely right. I think one of the things that that we did was we asked one of the psychologists from plant-based health professionals to talk a little bit about the wider context, the wider social context, and give us some thoughts about what the major challenges were for people going vegan and perhaps some of the ways that they could overcome those challenges. I'm Gemma Davis, a BACP accredited psychotherapist who integrates whole food plant-based nutrition in my work, as food is frequently part of my client's struggle and therefore part of their solution. Traditionally, men are more reticent to reach out for psychological support, and this dichotomy appears to be mirrored when it comes to veganism, with a roughly 40-60 split. My hour-long therapy sessions reveal dozens of highly individual reasons why people struggle to eat for health. So what are the most common blocks? The advice. But it's all so confusing. This week, eggs, wine, butter are bad. Next week, they're good. When clients do get themselves to GP surgery, food is rarely mentioned in relation to mental health. And hospitals, let's face it, are like veritable tuck shops, so the messaging is very confusing. 
but notice it's never whole food that suffers such controversy and confusion. So resources such as the Netflix Game Changers film and PBHP's beautiful handouts are a godsend. No more confusing advice. Affordability, but it's too expensive. It's hard to argue with the affordability reason when many vegan versions of prepared foods are ostensibly more expensive. However, embracing real food in its most natural form as opposed to already prepped food immediately reduces the amount of processing and the price plummets accordingly. Even saving money can be a real motivator, particularly if financial stress is part of their mental burden. Ability. But I can't cook. Opportunity to learn this skill may have passed particularly some men by. The advent of fast food delivery services and their mega advertising budget mean that food stuff of questionable quality is literally just a click away. Why bother to cook? I find when this appears to be the block, men in particular seem happy to play with super fast, super noisy smoothie makers. It's a start. Addiction. (laughs) But I just love it. Some foods are literally designed by scientists to be addictive, and statistically men get addicted more than women. It's interesting to ponder on whether hyperstimulating foods, whether dopamine hit is just as real as it can be for any drug, mean men struggle more to make good choices. It's not easy, but supported abstinence cleanses their taste buds so that they can appreciate the refined taste of fruit and vegetables. So whether the block is around advice, availability, ability or addiction, we work together to learn how nutrition contributes to their issues and can be part of their recovery. Doesn't take long before the benefits of weight loss, more energy and mental clarity reward their efforts. I regularly see how sharing real cooking with a partner can even improve their relationship. I couldn't do therapy without addressing food and veganuary is always a nice little challenge to kickstart their journey and help them feel part of a growing community. So some thoughts from Gemma there. She talks about the challenge for men and the idea that men don't cook perhaps as much as women. And we see that quite often when we look at listeners to this podcast, you've got this pretty much sort of 75%, 20, 25% split between women and men. Maybe you could offer us your own thoughts about what the challenges are at the moment. Yeah, I think that, I mean, the main barriers that we find are people just think it's going to be difficult. You know, that that's the first one. Like, where do I even start? You know, they assume that pretty much every meal they eat contains an animal product. So I think starting by highlighting how much of what they already eat is vegan by default is a good place. You know, vegetables, fruits, obvious ones, you know, baked beans, peanut butter, dried pasta, so many tinned soups, all that kind of stuff. Like so much of it is already vegan. So I think that's quite a good starting point. And then people worry about money, definitely. So people do assume it's going to be more expensive. And this is largely because they see some of the brands of meat alternatives and plant milks can be quite expensive by comparison. So I think then again, it's focusing on, well, these aren't something you have every day. You know, these are treats. Every day, your diet's going to be quite inexpensive if you're focusing on vegetables and legumes and whole grains. You know, these foods are not expensive. And in fact, things like tinned legumes are some of the most um, cost-effective things you can actually purchase in the supermarket. And then highlighting that there's more and more available on the high street as well, because I think people worry about eating out 
and particularly if they're eating out with non-vegan friends and family, you know, if they go to a place that someone else chooses, is there going to be something on the menu for them? So I think letting them know that there's a, a much bigger selection available now when you do go out to eat helps a lot. As far as men in particular, you know, their big worry is usually protein. They're tend to be a lot more fixated on, on getting protein than women are. So I think, again, it's a case of education and highlighting that plant-based foods can be very high in protein and that there's an increasing number of professional athletes, weightlifters, bodybuilders who are following plant-based diets. So, you know, there's the, the actual proof that eating plant-based isn't going to affect any sort of sports performance. And I think that's what really impressed me, actually, when I looked into the Veganuary website. It was interesting to see what a breadth of great ambassadors you've got. And the weightlifter is on there and the, the, the sports people. And that's really lovely to see. Should we continue with the theme of sports then? We have quite a few voice notes, actually, about how Veganuary and eating plant-based have helped people with, uh, as you mentioned, recovery from sports and sports performance. So first up, we hear from Richard talking about how a plant-based diet helped with his exercise performance. I enjoy cycling and have done many long-distance cycling events, including the Grand Fondo World Championships and Ride London. I went vegan as a trial to see whether it would help with my exercise recovery and muscle soreness, as I'd heard many athletes had switched to plant-based diets. It was meant to be a two-week trial, but I felt so much better during those two weeks that I decided to continue. For the first six months or so, I sometimes ate meat when we went out with friends, but increasingly I found I didn't need meat or dairy in my diet, and the last three and a half years I've been 100% plant-based. I found it easy living this way, as there is a vegan version of all my previous favourite foods, and I'll indulge in the odd plant-based burger too. I've felt that my recovery times following a hard training session are shorter, which means I can go back out and train hard again sooner than I could previously. I put this down to all the anti-inflammatory foods like berries, nuts, vegetables and seeds. When I've been looking for recipes and ideas, I usually turn to a book called The Plant-Based Cyclist. So Tony, that's one of a, quite a few voice notes we receive from people who are keen athletes or generally enjoy exercising. Can I ask, are there any collaborations between veganery and sort of health or fitness organisations? Not really, no. We don't have any particular collaborations or affiliation with any sports organisations. We're working a lot right now with BASIS, which is the British Association for Sustainability in Sport, because they're really looking to improve what's happening inside like their stadiums and what they're offering internally as well as externally to people who come to support their matches just to make sport a lot greener in the UK. So that's quite exciting because obviously that will have huge impacts nationwide because we know people love to go and watch sports in the UK. So if they can get good plant-based food when, we're, when they're there and they see that these athletes are performing well, eating more plant-based products, then that will be encouragement as well for them to eat more themselves. Definitely. Isn't there a football team, Claire? Isn't there a football team that are entirely plant-based? There is. Morris um, Green um, Rovers. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. There's Amazing. also the Green Gazelles, which is a vegan rugby team. Oh, yes. The Green Gazelles. Yeah. Shout out to all the, the vegan athletes out there. So now a couple of great voice notes, mainly on the subject of health benefits. First, Bart, speaking about his experience of respiratory illness. 
I've had asthma for most of my life, and I also developed a pretty rare condition called aspergillosis, which in itself caused another condition called bronchiectasis. They're not great, these things, and I've been really unwell for many years with these. I sort of got by. Eight years ago, I decided to become vegan, not for health reasons, for uh, concern about uh, animal welfare and the environment. But what happened is that very soon after I took that decision, I started to feel much better uh, in terms of I lost weight, my blood pressure um, was great, my, my heart rate was great. And, and also I used to have you know aches all over. All of that is gone now. And diseases like aspergillosis and bronchiectasis are not curable, not normally. So I still have them. But I feel so much better since I became vegan. And actually, I, I started running again, which I, I hadn't done for a long time. So I would say, has veganism cured my diseases? No, and I don't think that's possible for these at least. But has it improved uh, my well-being and my quality of life and my overall health? That I would say absolutely. Uh, and oddly enough, that was not planned, but I'm, of course, very happy with it. Really positive account there from Bart. Now we're going to hear from Christelle and her and her family's experience of Veganuary. Hi, Claire and Daisy. I decided to do Veganuary in January 2019. The context of that was that I joined Extinction Rebellion and gone to an action in November 2018. And it very much challenged me to think about my own life and how that kind of aligned with activism. We often hear activists being accused of hypocrisy which is pretty difficult when it comes to the environment because we're all living in a system that's essentially set up not to respect the environment but it was part of the reason that I opted to see if I could be predominantly a, a vegan I would say um, and to also encourage the family in that direction. We then carried on past the January and pretty much have done ever since we're not 100% plant-based but we are predominantly first thing that we noticed was that my husband's eczema cleared up which he'd been having to use regular steroids for he'd known that he had a bit of a cow's milk intolerance from a young age but he'd never really seen it as being bad enough as to exclude cow's milk products but that was certainly an immediate benefit that we noticed health-wise at first, we ate a lot of sort of processed stuff, kind of alternatives from the freezer in the supermarket and stuff like that, corn-based, etc. I've got two school-aged children. One of them's a fussy eater and, you know, it has been a little bit difficult from that point of view. But then this year, 2023, I discovered plant-based health professionals and attended the conference. And that has given me a real boost in terms of thinking about non-processed anti-inflammatory whole foods and essentially living off those. And I've gone from being, look what's in the freezer at five o'clock type mum, to doing meal planners, which the kids are involved in, cooking from scratch, starting a bit earlier when they come home from school and factoring a little bit more time in for that just being a bit more organized and that's going really well we've been doing it for a full school term now and in terms of any health benefits i myself have had long covid twice from january to july of both the previous two years and fatigue had been a real issue for me i'd started to feel better in june of this year and that was sort of around the time i came across plant-based health professionals but I didn't start properly focusing on plant-based whole foods until 
September. So I think that, you know, some of that spontaneous recovery of, of energy will probably be to do with recovery from like long COVID, but also it might be to do with the plant-based whole food diet. At the moment, I feel that I've got a lot of vitality and energy. I seem to need less sleep than I did before. I'm really enjoying the kind of foods and flavours that, that we're eating. And my family are very happy as well. And I should say that I'm a GP and I've also been promoting some of the plant-based health professionals resources to my patients and talking to them about some of the concepts that I've learned through that as well. And so it's had great positive knock-on effects. So we heard from Christelle there. And of course, the theme of plant-based health professionals is to follow as close as possible to a plant-based diet. But she started off relying a lot on the more processed foods, ready-made foods. Do you think that without thinking about specific conditions or specific health problems, do you think we're striking a balance between encouraging restaurants and shops to boost their sales of vegan foods for veganery and setting people off on a healthy course? I mean, certainly anyone who signs up to Veganuary on the website does get the message that these convenience foods are really nice to have and it makes the original transition. So maybe those first couple of weeks a lot easier for people if they can just swap out their beef mints for vegan mints in their lasagna, if they can have vegan sausages instead of meat sausages when they're doing you know, sausage and mash, that sort of thing. So in those first couple of weeks when you're just adjusting to things, these foods are really helpful. But we do make it very clear that, you know, the healthiest diet is a whole food plant-based diet. And these convenience foods should really be treated as exactly that, a treat to have occasionally. I think when people go out for a meal with their family, you know, or with friends, whatever, it is a treat they're looking for. So I think, you know, in those instances, it's important that we have things that are a bit indulgent on the menu. Um, you can make a salad at home quite easily. But when you go out to a restaurant, you want something that's a bit of a treat, something a bit special that you might not make for yourself at home. So I think we do need to have those indulgent options available to people when they go out to eat. But there should also be healthy options on the menu, really. So it should be a case that restaurants are providing a selection of vegan options rather than just the token vegan burger. You know, they should have some very indulgent dishes for people who are looking for that, but also have healthier options for people who would rather eat whole food plant-based most of the time and don't really want to treat themselves to these things. So speaking about challenges and not always having the choice of foods that you want, we've got a voice note from a listener who said that although they became mostly vegan following Veganuary, they did feel a bit challenged when they went abroad. Doing Veganuary started as a social thing. A few people at work had signed up and my wife Nikki was up for it as well. This was five years ago, but I had been vegan curious for a while driven by a growing realisation that there's a disparity between the food we think we're eating, cows and chickens and pigs lolling around farmyards, being well looked after by a friendly farmer until it's their time to contribute to the circle of life, and what we actually eat, intensively factory farmed animals treated as machines, and that the industrialisation of farming was having a huge adverse impact on the climate emergency. Actually doing veganery was relatively easy, and so I carried on, albeit with the odd lapse over the first few months and have done ever since. It's been made considerably easier by Nikki also being vegan, and also living in Bristol, a very vegan-friendly place. 
Venturing outside of cities and abroad has been occasionally tricky, especially on French mountainsides. But it's not a religious calling, or in my opinion, a moral imperative. So there is still the odd occasion when I'll eat meat or dairy when I have to. But I don't crave meat or dairy. I don't think about bacon or cheese or the stuff people think they can't give up. And some of that is because you start to notice the cultural propaganda of the meat and dairy industrial complex and what they get away with. And once you see it, it's really hard to unsee it. Also, I really like vegetables and beans. The thing most people ask is whether I've noticed health benefits. And I'm sad to report that I haven't seen any positive or negative impact. Sorry about that. I love his honesty about how he feels. But of course, so many of the health benefits we know are there. You don't feel as such. Yes, true. And this might be the reason it's hard to feel motivated to eat well, because you don't feel those internal benefits that are happening, such as lowering of blood pressure or lowering of cholesterol, which will happen on a whole food plant-based diet. Yeah, but you may avoid that heart attack or stroke or getting diabetes. So yeah, that was his thoughts on trying to be vegan in France, I think, or at least in the more sort of ski resort settings. What we'd be interested to know is if you've got any advice for people who are traveling, how they should continue if they want to on a veganuary journey. And having traveled myself quite extensively, you know, the vegan options everywhere I go just get better and better. I would say the essential thing to do is to have the Happy Cow app on your phone. If you have that, there are very, very few places you will struggle to find vegan food. It's absolutely amazing. And I have been in some of the most remote places on the planet and thought, oh, I'm never going to find anything interesting to eat here. And I look on my app and it's like, oh, there's a vegan place, you know three quarters of a mile from your hotel. It's like, wow, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I mean, really incredible app. So I, I recommend everyone download that. But also I think that gentleman's attitude is, is exactly what you need. If you go to some remote ski resort and there isn't something vegan on the menu and you have to eat something that isn't vegan, well, don't sweat it. You know, it, this isn't about dogma. This is about doing the best that you can. I think far too many people think it's an all or nothing proposition. And if they don't think they can pull it off 100% perfectly 100% of the time, then there's no point in doing it at all. And I think that is actually the biggest barrier to people going vegan. They don't realize they have permission to do it as much or as little as suits them in a situation. And, you know, I think the more people who realize that actually it's impossible to be a perfect vegan in an imperfect world and that we just have to accept that sometimes we're going to eat something not vegan, whether it's by accident or because there's no other choice or because we simply have given in to a temptation because we're human and we really want a Reese's peanut butter cup, you know, because we ate them when we were kids and we've got great memories attached to them and it makes us feel happy to eat that. You know, that is a human feeling. It doesn't make you a failure. You know, you are just human if that happens. There's absolutely nothing to beat yourself up about. And it's certainly no reason to abandon your aim of being a vegan. And I think that is the biggest problem. People, the minute they eat something non-vegan, they go, well, that's it. I messed it up. I give up. And I, they just go back to their old habits. It's like, no, you ate something non-vegan. So what? You know, your next meal 
eat what you plan to eat that's vegan and carry on from there and don't think about it. You enjoyed yourself. You ate something you liked, but move on now and, and strive to do what you intended to do. I know you mentioned that there are other countries taking part, but is the focus really on the UK? No, in fact, we, we don't really focus on the UK anymore. It's kind of its own entity here now. <laughs> um, there's not much more that can happen. You know, all the high street chains have lots of vegan options. So there isn't really a lot more to do here. Um, but we do now have chapters in eight countries. So we have Germany, Spain, the US, uh, three countries in Latin America. We're in Argentina, Chile and Brazil and then India. And then we work with partner organizations in eight other countries as well. So we have quite a good geographical spread where we're really pushing veganuary campaigns and signups. But as I said, you know, it still has a life of its own, even in countries where we're not present. And we see press clippings coming in from incredible places, you know, lots from Southeast Asia and China and Greece and Eastern Europe, you know, so many where the only word we can recognize in the article is veganuary because that's in English. <laughs> so it definitely has a life of its own elsewhere. Yeah, those are great tips. Thank you, Tony. I, I would also say I would also say the Happy Cow app is is excellent. But I always carry a bag of nuts with me when I'm abroad, <laughs> just in case. I have nuts on me abroad or in this country or at work in my drawer. I'm I'm never without my nuts in the car glove compartment. <laughs> There'll be a stash in all different places. <laughs> Great. So it's been really wonderful chatting with you, Tony, and we wish you all the very best for Veganuary 2024. We'll certainly be directing patients um, from our clinics towards your website. But before you go, um, can we ask you what you're having for dinner tonight? Yeah, absolutely. So my new favorite thing, actually, is some really spicy kimchi mixed with Pippin Nuts dark roast crunchy peanut butter like it just makes the most incredible rich savory sort of sauce that you can put on anything i mean i put it on so many different things but tonight i'm doing just a basic stir fry with some super cheap tofu from aldi like they sell it for 99p a block it's amazing it's really firm so chop that up with loads of i use tons of frozen vegetables because i live on my own so if i buy a head of cauliflower it's going to rot before I go through it. So I keep about a dozen different types of frozen veg in my freezer. So I'll just throw a selection that takes my fancy in the pan after I've browned the tofu. And then when that's all cooked, I'll put this lovely kimchi spicy, spicy peanut sauce over it and just have it on some quinoa. Oh, nice. That I, I've never heard that before. That sounds like a brilliant idea. I'm gonna it's try. so good. Oh, my God. Sometimes I'll just roast some frozen Brussels sprouts and toss it in this mix. And yeah, just all sorts. Pancakes, savory pancakes. I'll put it on it. Oh, love it. Wow. That's one for the new year, Claire, isn't it? One to try. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm going to be looking for this peanut butter this afternoon. I've got a bit of time to go shopping. Nice. And what about you, Claire? What are you having for dinner? So tonight I am facing the work Christmas party. So um, I am the only vegan at work and um, there's a buffet and I don't know what to expect. Um so my husband recently had the experience of, of being at a buffet where the vegan option was just some potato croquettes. So I'm going <laughs> to have some, I know, I know. And um, 
for that reason, I'm going to have some leftover soup before I go, just to make sure that I'm not hungry later, just in case. I'm, and they, they might have done a really good job, so I don't want to, to be too negative. But I've got some pea and fennel soup. And we always talk a little bit about how we do these things. So it's just a head of fennel roasted with an onion and then blended with vegetable stock, parsley and some garlic and peas. And then, you know, when you finished all that up, it's a fantastic colour already, but you can add a handful of spinach to make it even more green. And then just a dash of probably I've got some open soya cream in the fridge. So just to, to make it look a bit more fancy, that's what I'll have before I go out. And if I get something at the buffet, even better. It'll be a bonus. Oh, yeah. fingers crossed for that. I guess um, you don't have that problem, Tony, working for Veganuary. You probably have a lovely Christmas buffet. <laughs> Well, we all work remotely and we're spread out everywhere, so we don't actually do anything like that. Oh, oh no. <laughs> don't tell us that. I like just imagining the Veganuary Christmas party. Anyway, I'll get that image out of my mind now. Daisy, what are you cooking up tonight? Well, I saw a tip um, online, actually, a couple of years ago about how to make your own pesto, right? But the nice thing about this recipe was you can actually use any green leaf, vegetable, whatever you've got left over that's about to go off or, you know, sort of, you know, past its best, you can blend it with some cashew nuts, some nutritional yeast, a bit of lemon juice, salt and pepper, and sort of make your own, let's call it pesto. It's not really pesto, is it? The Italians would not be happy with me, but, you know, your own sort of mimicking pesto sauce. So I've probably got some coriander and some rocket and a bit of broccoli I will literally blend it all up into this nice lovely green sauce which I'll put on pasta and we have that normally with um, smoked tofu I really like um, smoked tofu and I cut cut it into squares and I um, dip it in you know plant milk and flour and and breadcrumbs panko breadcrumbs to make a crust and then I pan fry that um, so you've got really lovely crispy tofu with this pestoy pasta. So, um, Tony, you've got an Italian surname, Vanelli. Do you know what the origin of pesto is or what the definition is? Is, Has Daisy just described the pesto? (laughs) No, that wasn't something we ate growing up. I think it's mainly basil, isn't it? Traditionally, it would be basil, pine nuts, lemon juice, garlic and parmesan. That's right. Yeah. I mean, if I've got basil in, then perfect. But usually I don't, unfortunately. So it ends up being... A coriander pesto or a, a rocket pesto. <laughs> Much like Daisy famously talked about her can of mixed bean hummus. Yes. Oh, yeah. wow. Okay. Yeah. I have to make hummus with chickpeas. I make it with butter beans. Yeah. And that day I hadn't, I don't know how, I had no beans left. So I had mixed beans and that worked perfectly. Okay. So thank you again, Tony. We've really enjoyed having a chat with you. And um, yeah, thanks for your time. It's such a busy time of year for, for the January. We really appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks for having us and thanks for all of your support. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the podcast. We aim to bring you the most up-to-date evidence-based information about the benefits of a plant-based diet and we'll add all the links for further reading in the show notes. Please remember that everything discussed on here does not constitute individual medical advice, so please consult your healthcare provider if you have any medical concerns. 
In the meantime, please subscribe to the In A Nutshell podcast on your usual streaming service and download our future podcast for free. And since food can be the best medicine, don't forget to share us with all your colleagues, friends and family. Until next time.